Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Hey, hey, everyone. Sorry it's been so long. Yep, same old excuse. New life, new things, new stresses, new time eaters. But here we are back again on the podcast. Just had a nice evening. You know, it cooled off real nice tonight. We're in deer season. I have not gone out yet, and that's actually been part of my uh, delay. My archery setup that I was feeling, eh, I guess okay about I think I've mentioned before that I was going to some new heads this year. I wasn't overly impressed with the performance of the heads I was shooting last year. And uh, so I wanted to try something new. And um, that's been kind of a struggle, getting my getting my broadheads to fly like my field tips. And um, uh, I think I'm going to stick with fixed blades going into this year. However, um, I don't know. I've heard I've heard some really compelling evidence on why we should be using fixed heads, but I've also talked to a lot of really good hunters that have killed way more deer than I have, that have only used mechanical heads, and so uh, the debate persists. <laughs> but uh, I think I'm going to go with fixed heads, though. I got I got my heads already, and I'm trying to get them set up, and I'm closer. Um, but then I just started feeling like like really off with my shooting and that kind of thing. Maybe you can relate. But anyways, it's been kind of uh, been a little bit of an extra project that is really important to get figured out. As important as this podcast is to me, being able to get out and actually do what I talk about on here, which is hunt, and do so effectively and responsibly and ethically, being confident in the equipment that I'm using to where I can provide a quick and efficient uh uh, shot hopefully um i feel like i need to really put the time into getting to that point so uh that's that's one of the things i was working on this evening but man is it just good to be back and releasing another episode and this episode was one that i was really excited to record because i knew i'd get the whole story the story of alex hunting down in arizona doing one of his dream hunts took him eight years as you'll hear in this episode eight years to get this tag that's longer than i've actually been hunting this is year number seven for me and alex has been trying to get this tag for longer than that time yeah pretty crazy stuff so it's a it's an up and down story very much so one that myself and any other fellow first gen hunters tuning into this one can relate to undoubtedly and uh, tons of great tips that alex brings like always and uh hopefully you'll find it to be a happy ending as well well before we kick this one off make sure you remember to uh, visit brandon over at thehuntfishlife.com make sure you check out camo fire check out black ovis use the links provided in my instagram to get in contact with them we got a great interview coming up on a hunt therapy episode with mr kendall card one of the co-founders for camo fire and black ovis and uh 
man that one was just one of the coolest episodes alex and i have ever done we were we were texting each other afterwards like man that was cool but anyways that's coming up this one is all about alex fulfilling his dream hunt down in arizona thank you so much for tuning in don't forget to leave us review and don't forget to tell your friends about our show we hope we can help them as well take it easy and enjoy episode number 69 Well, it's another Friday evening. Wait, why would I say that? Because we never record on a Friday evening. So this is like a first for us. We are recording on a Friday evening because that's just the only time we could fit it in this week. Um, Alex has been in a couple different states this week, I believe. And um, this is a long-awaited tale. So, Alex, you know, I say that. But maybe we should uh, just kind of like clear the air here a little bit. What kind of story is this going to be? That's a tough question. Um, all, I mean, I think it's a good all story. All peaches and cream, right? Yeah, it's definitely not peaches and cream, that's for sure. <laughs> it's, it's like peaches with some rocks and then then some cream. <laughs> <laughs> with, with, some, with some moldy spots mixed in there. Some... Uh, some what would you say maybe some uh uh some parts in there that are a little disappointing some but yet yeah, in the some end ro- some rotten fruit in there yeah some rotten fruit yeah. with a delicious aftertaste though right yeah it, with the with the right whipped cream though <laughs> took, took, took plenty of whipped cream yeah this is this is gonna be and you know what i think your story just it just so well sums up hunting you know i think it does and uh but we don't want to spoil too much you know i just think it's a it, well well and you and you don't know the whole story so that's true i've been dying to record fairness. this people because i only know small little bits i uh of course you know i'm this, i'm the the curious cat right i always have to uh i always have to be asking for details ahead, you know, reading the last page of the book, so to speak, because I want to know how it ends. So I do know how it ends sort of, but, um, it's, it's a, uh, the, the little bits that I do know, they are quite interesting. And, you know, we kind of primed this hump, this hunt a few times with our hunt therapy episodes, but, um, I was hoping for an epic story and I think it even surpasses what I was hoping for. So, and it does feature some shed hunting. Well, good. It does feature some shed hunting, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, I'll have to add that in there for you. <laughs> you and your sheds, man. <laughs> I know. I can't stop. I can't help myself at all. You know, I just. I've I, never met anybody that likes shed hunting as much as you do. <laughs> hey, you know what? I'm going to wear that as a badge of honor. Okay. <laughs> oh, you should. You should. That's I'm, that's definitely a badge of honor. You, you that's know, like your niece. You know, I got a funny story about that. And listeners are going to, long-time listeners are going to be real curious right now. But um, I was talking about shed hunting once while we were interviewing somebody. And I do not think any less of this person. I will I will, I will, put that little, uh, <laughs> clair, you know, that little qualifier in there. But they, so we do all these interviews over Skype, you know, a video chat software, I guess you would say, on web-based software. And, um, I don't know if he just didn't, if he thought like his, his, uh, video was turned off or maybe he 
thought I wasn't like watching the video screen or something, but I made this statement about shed hunting. And uh, this is a guy who's done some really cool stuff. I mean, some really cool stuff. And uh, he just like rolled his eyes and started laughing and uh, like quietly, you know, so that I wouldn't hear. Like you could tell he was like amused that I was talking about shed hunting as like, you know, it was this reaction of what could be a bigger waste of time. That was, that was the impression that I got while his, uh, (laughs) while his video was going. And uh, uh, so, you know, even, even if I could, even if that guy, you know, was in the room right now, I'd still wear that badge of honor being the, the create the, the most obsessive uh, shed hunter that, you know, so yeah, there's, 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 there's no, there's no shame there like for me. <laughs> no, it's no a, you know, I was, I was reading, uh, I was reading Mark Kenyon's book on public lands and uh, sure. He just had a really good kind of aspect to it. I don't know if you've read that or not. I, I own I'm, it, but I'm I have not a, yet read it. Do you? Yep. I'm I'm about a third through it right now, but there was just a big, big aspect to it where, you know, he's doing shed hunting and he's kind of going back into like Roosevelt days and so on and so forth. And he's talking about just how, you know, when you're holding that antler, it's you're, you're there at a time where an animal was there and you're, you have a relationship now with this, this animal because it's left you something while yeah. it's still like out there running around and I, I think there is a cool, important piece to it. I just, I, I think I'm not spoiled by it because, well, living in Michigan, like you find a shed that's like a little forkhorn and you should be like overjoyed. <laughs> but but <laughs> it's just not something that I've just definitely been like involved with. But I sure. found sheds uh, all over the place, you know, especially like, you know, with this trip, yeah. which I, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about, but. I've, uh, I've enjoyed it. I have some sheds, but it's never been something that I've like seeked out because it hasn't been like a really good opportunity. I almost like stumble across them sure. and then I get excited about it, you know, cause I'm like, Oh, this is awesome. Like I just found a really nice shed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, so. I, I totally understand it. And I think that's the right attitude to have on it. You know, I probably err on the side of a little too obsessive with it sometimes, but in many ways it does make you a better hunter though, too. And so, uh, and I would, I would echo Mark's sentiments from his book where, uh, he, I haven't read that yet, but I'll take your word for it. And, uh, I think that that's a great way to say it. You, you kind of have that little uh, connection there with it, with the animal, you know, you're looking at the land that they were, that they found suitable, you know, where they thought they would spend some time and, I don't know. I just think that's kind of cool. Yeah, for, for sure. I, I think the other thing is, you know, you get to learn about the animals, especially for their wintering areas. Like if you're, if you are hunting a really late season and you're finding sheds, you know where those animals are going to be. So I, I think, I think there's, there's kind of a scouting effect to it. I think there's a, yeah. I, and the other thing is I think it's a great vacationing event. You know, if yeah. you are out of season and you want to go do something, yeah. I think it gets you out in the woods. So, so there, there's nothing but positive to it. It just, I, I, I just know if I find a shed, you're the first person that pops into my mind because <laughs> I know how much you enjoy it. So that's, that's yep. all I'm saying. No, I'm like, I, I'm like holding this one for you, you know, it's yep, like, <laughs> yep. I, 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 hey, I appreciate it, man. And always, you know, you have my address. So if you ever just need to like FedEx, FedEx some antlers to me, that's, that's okay too. But 
No, hey, that's, listen, that's pretty, that, that's easy. Yeah. Com- <laughs> compared to what else you're trying to figure out for FedEx right now. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. Yeah. You got, you got quite the uh, project on your hand to, to whittle down, but we'll, we'll get to that here in a minute, Always. which is, which is good. That's a good thing. But, um, you know, I think probably the best place to start with this is to maybe get like a little, a little bit of background on what, so we're, if, if you, this is your first time tuning in, well, first of all, welcome, but we're talking about Alex's recent trip to Arizona to how, how could I describe this, Alex? Maybe like a, a trophy, a trophy caliber, very much sought after unit in, in Arizona. Is it, do they use the term unit or do they use zones there? No, it's units. It's, it's units. units. Okay, so a very a very so- well sought after unit in Arizona, and uh, can you just kind of like give us the backstory from a tag acquisition standpoint on what it took to get this hunt put together? Yeah. So, well, let me kind of start off with Arizona. So Arizona's got a complex system. It's 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 kind of confusing, but essentially every year that you apply and you don't draw, you get what we call a bonus point. But the way that Arizona works is you get, you, you know, let's say they had 10 tags available in a unit. I'm just going to use this for, for research reasons, or let, let's say, let's say a hundred, it'll make it sound better. So we have a hundred tags. The first 20 tags in that drawing will go to the highest point holder. So if somebody has been, somebody has been applying for 20 years and they are the highest point holder that applied for this unit, they're, they're guaranteed a tag. Basically the first 20 will get that. Uh, but the way that it works is essentially Arizona has a cap. So it's basically 10% of all tags in this unit will go to non-residents. So if you had a hundred, you would basically know that 10% would be 10, 5% of that would go into the first pass. So that first pass is the first five tags to non-residents with the highest points. Sure. And then the other five are out there and those are in a random drawing. So whether you have never applied and this is your first time applying, or if you have applied for 10 years, Hmm. you're thrown into this lottery system. So for me, I apply, this was my eighth year, so technically, yeah, so eight years of applying, and I drew this tag. I did not draw it as a high point holder. I threw it in there, and I got drawn on a lottery. I was was the number 36th. I believe I was the 36th or so. Anyways, uh, that doesn't matter, but but essentially, I got lucky. I mean, my odds Hmm. were about 1% that I would draw that tag, (laughs) so... Wow. So pr- pretty, yeah, pretty crazy odds that, you know, the, the moral of the story there is, you, you know, putting in is huge and you have to, you have to put in because if you don't, you, you don't stand a chance, you know, and, and you never know. And, sure. you know, I, I'm proof in point, you know, in between the last two years of my applications, I've drawn very, very good tags with about one to one and a half percent odds. Wow. And I've had great hunts. Yeah. So, so you feel now you've had enough experience with these, these, um, highly, what's the right term here? Highly sought, much sought after, uh, units 
not just in Arizona, but in other places too, that it really is like you notice when you get there, there is a difference than say, you know, over the counter units elsewhere. Yeah. 1000%. I mean, it's not even, it's not even close. Hmm. What I, what I will say though is, and I, and I've always believed this, but it's just, it, it always comes to fruition. If you go hunt some of these really hard over the counter, super physical demanding overcrowded areas and you can figure out how to be successful there if you go and get one of these tags it is like a cakewalk like Mm. you have gone through the worst scenarios ever and you you learn a ton so it's almost like you know you're 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 pounding sand or just having a negative experience per se but you learn so much about it when you get into these other areas you're you're just you're at another level and and you just immediately can sense it because it's like, Oh my God, this is, I've never experienced anything like this in my life, you know? Sure. But that's, that's what you get with the, with the point game. You know, if if you start accumulating and I can't stress it enough, but getting a client involved today, yesterday versus waiting till tomorrow is going to be a game changer Mm -hmm. for them in the next, you know, X amount of years. Yeah. I, I think that's a great point you made there. You know, it's when you're, you, when, when you're in a difficult to hunt spot, you have to develop so many other skills. You know, I, I think, uh, being, you know, my job as a teacher, I'm around kids that, that grow up, you know, with hunting opportunities that they're, they're just, it's just a, the way it is that here in Iowa, you know, if you live out on a farm somewhere and you have some level of habitat and you grow up in a hunting family, you're, you know, by the age of 10, <laughs> you've already had, you've already had a shot at animals that guys living out on the East coast that are avid deer hunters could only dream of. So, you know, you can, you can almost, if you if you start out in that target rich you know, layup environment, I guess you'd say you can almost stunt your growth, you know, whereas the guy who's out there hunting New York state, tons of pressure, you know, fewer, fewer animals, maybe to some extent, maybe not, but just, you know, more of uniform landscape, I guess you'd say deer could be literally anywhere. Then you really got to develop some skills in tracking and sign reading and, you know, playing the weather correctly, identifying food sources correctly. And, uh, you know, then you take that person and then you bring them out to the Midwest where deer habitat is much more, you know, uh, I guess you'd say like, uh, checkerboarded, you know, where it's where you, Oh oh, Oh yeah. There's a big, you know, a couple acres of trees over there. Well, you know, there's at least during this time of year, there's going to be a few deer in there. So find a way to, get on a travel route or a pinch or something like that. And you'll probably get a, get an opportunity. Whereas that's not the case out East. So, you know, bringing those skills into a target rich environment, like you were able to do, that's a great point. Yeah. I, I like that a lot. So that's a, that's, that's a cool perspective that you had there. So after, you know, how, how many years did, did you say how many years you've been uh, working on this for Arizona? This was, this was my eighth. Wow. Eight years. So you feel like it was worth the wait though in the end? Well, yeah, I mean, and I, I, I didn't, I didn't think I was going to even, 
you know, it's, it's kind of funny. I say, I, I didn't think I was going to draw. Sure. I paid attention to, I paid attention to some details. So the last two years were really, really bad drought years in like Nevada, California, Arizona. So what was happening was a lot of people were not putting in for certain applications mm. because they, they didn't want to hunt in the drought times because they're thinking that, you know, the, the bull elk are not as nutrient you know, dense and they're not growing as big of horns as possible. And they're really, you know, when you're hunting Arizona, I mean, the reality is any unit in Arizona is amazing. It, it's, it is a well-managed state. And then, sure. and then you have, and then you have like the top three units on top of it in Arizona that everybody's trying to get after. So, so, you know, kind of having a realistic effect to it. I, I had no business really drawing the tag for probably another seven years or so. Um, but when I applied, I said, you know, it's been two years that it's been bad. The third year won't be bad. And, and I, I was going back to this old, it's a native American, native American saying of like, when, when you think about weather, uh, it takes two sleeps for the weather to basically change. So like hmm. if you're in a snowstorm, you know, hunker down for two full nights of sleep by the third day, that storm will be over. So I was kind of, I was using it on an annual basis going, okay, well, two years is, is, is already enough of this drought. I can't believe there'll be a third year where like mother nature doesn't kind of correct course. Sure. And I kind of saw the opportunity there of going, I don't think a lot of people are going to put in for this unit. I know that this unit can, can carry large bulls. And at the same point, it, it just might be my opportunity. So I put in and I really felt good about it. I actually changed huh. all of my personal applications around Arizona going, I think I'm going to draw this unit. I have a really good feeling about drawing this unit. And then, then the, the week that they were drawing the, the units, I finally hit, had my credit card hit. And I was like, I saw the charge and I go like, I, like I drew an elk tag. Like I know <laughs> I, I did because I saw the credit card and, and I don't know, you know, whether it is like my, my, my Uber confidence in it, or like I knew what I was doing, whatever it was, it really worked out positive for me Sure. that, uh, that I drew the tag and I, I felt like I was going to do the tag uh, that I was going to draw that tag. So, so yeah, it was definitely worth the wait, but I would have definitely waited longer hindsight 2020 as I kind of expected because it was, it was a, it was, I mean, it was an amazing hunt. No, no matter how you shake it. Hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that's a, there, there's a lot of good little nuggets of truth in there, and you know, I, I've said it before. I said it in a previous episode of Hunt Therapy that I feel like this was much deserved for you. You know, this is you don't really, I don't think necessarily earn hunts, but you know, you've been diligent with this. You've been studying it hard. There's uh, there's not a guy out there who deserved it more. So I'm really glad it it came together for you. But the other thing I'm thinking of this whole time you're saying this is like the value of hiring you for your, uh, and everyone's like, Oh boy, here he goes with infomercial, but no, we're just going to do it for a second. We have a, we have a regular commercial that we'll run in here at some point, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, no, I, I mean, I, that whole part there about just thinking through the odds for this year at following two drought years that people are probably starting to get a little bit down on, on going out there to hunt and be like, yeah, I'm going to go do something else. Then, uh, you know, that was, that was pretty smart to put in now and capitalize on, on the moment. And, uh, you know what, if somebody hires you to do all that tag application work for you, well, 
man, now's that's how they're going to end up getting into a trophy unit and uh, fulfilling some uh, long-held dreams. So I think that was a that was a great little bit of insight there. So obviously, beyond just the tag acquisition side of this, though, a ton of prep goes into every big out-of-state hunt, even every big in-state hunt. Honestly, you know, I'm always amazed sure. at how much <laughs> how much hunting involves. Whenever uh, that first that first sit of the year comes around, you're like, "Wow, I need this. I need this. I need this. I need this," and you're just like overwhelmed. You know, it's like. Oh man, I'm not going to be able to, and then, you know, you get streamlined as the year goes on, but, but, um, what was the, the prep like, you know, I kind of broke it down into a couple of categories here that we could hit, but, you know, let's just start with the scouting side of this. You're going to this trophy unit. You live thousands of miles away, probably what close to 2000 miles away from, uh, where you're hunting and maybe not quite that far, maybe more like 1500, but, but, um, you're a long ways away, so any opportunity to scout is going to have to literally be a whole planned like vacation to Arizona, or um, you're going to have to come up with some you know remote scouting solutions, or you're just going to have to go in there blind. <laughs> so, uh, what right. did, what did you do from a scouting standpoint? Yeah, so you know, I think I've I've talked about this before on the uh, on the podcast. So I, I went and hired a guide and I am also searching just so you know how many miles it is. So it's about 1900 miles. Oh, I was pretty close to my first guess. so, So you were, you were pretty close, but, but anyways, you know, needless to say, I ended up hiring a guide and part of that point was not for the hunt itself, but it was for the scouting. And it would have cost me X amount of dollars to fly out there, put a week in a time, sure. yada, yada, yada. Sure. And, and it just, it, it, it all shook out that it would kind of be the same. So it just didn't matter. But I might as well get some help out of it. Uh, you know, my, my whole goal was save some time and, and have a good experience and then, and then really kind of know what's going on ahead of time. So I had hired an outfit. I worked with them pretty closely. They were out about 10 days prior to the season. I was getting pictures, notes. So we were kind of putting back and forth, you know, what do we think about this bull? What do we think about this area? So on and so mm-hmm. forth. And, and, and I'll be honest ahead of time. I called, I called a couple different outfits and, and I do this for clients, right? So part of what, part of what I do is, and, and this is this is very interesting. Okay, so if I have relationships with guides or outfitters, and they were to pay me, it would be very, it would be very selfish. And this is how some places work. Most places work this way, right? They advertise or they pay X mm-hmm. person to to funnel clients to them. Right. I don't. I I don't do that. What ends up happening is my client pays me, and my client pays me more money but I have no affiliation to any outfit. So my job is to fit them with the right person and do all of the research to find the right person. So I'm not making a commission through these outfits where other people are. And and I think that's what's misconstrued is like, Oh, well this, this service is more expensive. Yeah, it is because you're paying for me to do, do this time and effort, (laughs) but I'm also not jaded by this time or effort. I'm literally, I'm doing this for you, not for the outfitter. And that's what's, 
what's changed, right? You could pay me less money, but then guess what? I'm going to go after the outfitter that's going to pay me more money to make that same amount. So it's like, what do you want? Do you want me to be jaded and give you, uh, uh, I would call it a, a half scenario because I'm going to make more money off of that. Or do you want me to do it right by you? Well, I do it right by the client, but that's why my, my costs are a little bit more upfront because I have no relationship or affiliation. I could care less who they are. I, I needed to be the right person for the right job. Right. So, so I did the same thing for myself. I, out, I went after multiple outfitters. I had outfitters that wouldn't, wouldn't take me on because wow. I, I basically knew too much. They were like, well, you don't need an outfitter. You're going to be totally fine. Okay. That's great. Or, or I asked for them to fit me. I wanted to talk to the guy that they were going to set me up with and they yeah. wouldn't do it, you know? So, uh, so anyways, I, I settled with a certain company, you know, if anybody wants to reach, reach out to me, I'd be more than happy to, to tell you who they were and so on and so forth. But, um, I had a great experience and they did exactly as expected. They were out there 10 days ahead of time. I was getting pictures. I knew what was going on. Uh, you even, I had you even shared some of those pictures up. with me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they were, I they were pretty they were, incredible. They were great, weren't they? Yeah. I was, I mean, I, I, I don't know what exactly I was expecting those guys to be getting for you for, as far as Intel goes. Maybe like have some kind of like buddy system that they were tapping into or where they were having a, uh, you know, guide. X from Joe Blow Guide Service, uh, and you know, have uh, uh, Tom Guide over here and and Bill Guide over here, and they're all putting their pictures into a pool or something. I I guess that's kind of what I figured what what would be happening, but you could tell this was somebody out there. And I thought, well, of course, now you can't have trail cameras in Arizona anymore, so that <laughs> you that you, kinda, you you can this year. Oh, this is the last year of it. And this then, is the last year of it. Yeah. Okay. We, and we actually, I actually, I actually went with him when we were there and we put up some cameras. Sure. Um, Just trying but, to get but, that um, last little bit of time. In. But they, they didn't, they didn't yield anything. I'll tell you that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it was, you know, when you sent those pictures, it was very clear that this was an intentional effort by somebody to, uh, get out in the field with a spotting scope and, uh, and even with, with, a probably a phone a phone scope mount on their spotting scope it looked like so that they could give you really clear pictures and you know i imagine i wouldn't be surprised if when you got there you saw a a bowl or two that were captured in those pictures so you know that was yeah we did we we did i actually ended up yeah yeah anyways i won't i won't uh spoil it but yes we did and and that's amazing to me that the fact that you can literally get out of thousands of animals that you can <laughs> you can hunker down on one of them in a mountain range. From that, you know what I mean? From where you got a picture from nineteen hundred miles away. <laughs> oh hey, yeah. I'm here, guys. <laughs> it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's so that's anyways, really cool. that was that was well worth it. I will tell you that that was well worth it. And at the end of the day, for me to fly out and take a week off of work and do all that. It, it, honestly, I, I would not for a second have changed the way that I did that whole whole thing. Okay, well, what about um? So, Steve, sticking here uh, in this theme of uh, getting ready to go for the hunt. What about exercising and gear? Did you um? 
Did you uh, have to do any change-ups to your exercise plan to get ready for this physically? And, uh, you know, gear-wise, I know you have a pretty uh, well streamlined. In fact, you've sent me your kind of your spreadsheet that you do of stuff that you're going to be bringing. Um, now, obviously, that's going to change a little bit based on the time of year or whether or not you're hunting muskox or your spring bear. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, what what was there specifically gear-wise or exercise-wise that you had to kind of get lined up for this hunt? Um, exercise-wise, you know, it's, it's I, I haven't really changed much. What I will say is, and I, and I guess this is a change, but uh, at least I don't find it anything miraculous. Uh, in, the, in the beginning of the year, so it was – this is a January of 2021. So January of 2020, I started training differently. I, 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 and I think I told you this, I don't know if we were on the air or not, but I, I did an Idaho bear hunt at like 35 to like 4,000 feet elevation. This was like 20, 2017 or 2018. I can't remember. They're all, sure. they're all coming back they're all coming together at this point. But what I, what was crazy was it was steep country, like really mm. steep country. And yeah, we were, we were like in the salmon river area and you could only get in there through like a propelled boat, like a jet boat. <laughs> wow. and it, I mean, r- really, really gnarly country, man. I sure. mean, uh, it, it was, and it was dangerous anyways. I'll never forget, but I had a guide there. It was like semi guided, uh, it was like two to one kind of a deal. So my buddy and I went in, we pitched in and, and we went in there. And part of that, part of the hiring of the guide thing was we couldn't get access to the area. I mean, it was literally like us going on a, on our own like float, which was super dangerous, get flown in by helicopter and dropped, or it was hire this outfit to get you into the area. So that's what we did. Cause it was, it was actually cheaper to do that. Um, but this guide, man, he, he took us both up and I was just huffing. I was strong, but my cardio was just not, not up to snuff. And I didn't think anything of it for 3,500 feet, but the steepness of the terrain was brutal. It was, it was way worse than like a Colorado. I could be at 10,000 feet and I was in better, better position at 10,000 feet hiking around than I was at 3,500 and and this steep, steep grade. Hmm. And, uh, I felt demoralized in the fact that I just couldn't keep up. My heart rate was just too high. So for the past, we call it, let's call it two years. I have, I have been focusing a lot on cardio. I, mm. I just run, I run every day, every other day, just depending on the week or whatever case, you know, I, I'll at least be clocking three to four miles, at least three to four days a week at minimum. Mm. That's and, good. and what I will say this trip it was a breeze. I mean, it was That's at awesome. no point in time did I ever even think about my fitness. It was just like, yeah, where are we going to go? Oh, up there. Cool. I got <laughs> it. Let's roll. You know, it, 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 it there was no question to it. And, and that kind of, you know, hindsight 2020, I didn't even think about it. But when I got back, I was like, dang, I feel good. Like I felt really, really, I felt really fit, you know, like, sure. and, and you don't good. even feel fit. You just feel like you're able to do it. 
You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, fitness sometimes isn't like, you know, this, this aura of, man, I'm feeling good because I am fit. It's sometimes it's just like, wow, I don't even, I don't even notice anything different <laughs> between this and uh leisure, right. leisurely, uh, activity. And, and, um, yeah, when I, usually I start getting to that point, like towards the end of a, of a archery season after all the hike-ins and climbing in and out of trees and, and, uh, you know, just, uh, being contorted into weird positions and stuff, trying to, you know, duck down or, or whatever, get out of deer sight line or something like that. But, but, um, yeah, you know, when you get into that, that situation or <laughs> here we are in sheds again at the end of a long shed season where you're walking, you know, close to 10 miles every, you know, Saturday, you know, just pounding ground, trying to find sheds, then, uh, you know, you just, it's, it's a totally different feeling for, uh, you just, you, you don't notice things like soreness and being out of breath. And yeah, so I agree that from a much, much less intense standpoint, <laughs> the flat, yeah. the, the, the flat Midwest here, uh, yeah, you, you, you're able to do more and enjoy it more when you're in that shape. So I got to start getting there for our, uh, bear hunt. Otherwise you're going to leave me in the dust, man. But, um, I'll be, yeah. I'll, I'll be ready. I'll, I, I'll be I, will, ready. I will, will not be friendly. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I know. You're going to literally <laughs> leave me in the dust and it'll especially come in handy, you know, yeah. if we get charged by a grizzly. So I was about to say, man, I'm going to threaten you with a grizzly. You're gonna... <laughs> You'll be moving uh, real fast. Then. Yep. Yes, I will. You, you know, see, you, you mentioned, you mentioned gear. I, um, I, you know, I didn't change my gear a lot, like beforehand. Like I, I have everything I could ever want, you know. Uh, and I'll and, and I and I say that because I've had, you know, what is this to twenty 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 one. So let's say I've had eleven years of just straight reconfiguring my gear. In eleven years, I can I, I figured out really what works and what doesn't for me. But there's always like little finite things that change. Sure. I, uh, I, I went super light and I sent you a picture of this, but, but you saw my, my gear that I had, I had literally a bow case and I had a carry on luggage and that was it. And I went super light. I mean, we're talking for a, for a potential 10 day trip. I took like two pairs of socks, two pairs of boxers. I had no base layers. I had one pair of pants. I had two shirts I had a puffy pant, a puffy jacket, just in case I got cold, which I, which I only used like at four, four or four thirty in the morning when I woke up. Okay. And um, everything else was good. the The only things that I changed, they were actually during the hunt. I changed a couple things. Oh, really? And uh, yeah, they were like middle of the hunt that I changed them. One of them was, I have a I have a Kuyu a bino harness and rangefinder pouch and i've used them for years and on this hunt it was to the point where i wanted to like throw my bino harness and <laughs> it was and, just falling it, apart or no it's it, 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 it was the first iteration of this bino harness that Kuyu made and you know being like um you know i'm i'm i am partnered with Kuyu. like I, i'm a guide and outfitter through them and 
and I and I love their clothes, and and I will wear them. I can't imagine changing. I just love their stuff. Sure. But I, I had their their very first bino harness, and I love their bino harness. Um, and they've made many iterations to it. My frustration with it is, if your binocular is not the right size or a little bit too small, and and the way that it is is most bino harnesses are attached to you. And when you take your binocular out or your bino out, uh, it is tethered to your main harness. Mm. Their very first iteration of this, it's not like that. It's your binocular is tied in to the top of the harness. So when you remove your binocular out, your like binocular harness falls down to your stomach. Oh. And then you got to put it back into it and then you got to <laughs> lift it up. In an archery hunt, it sucks because yeah. you're literally crawling around, you're doing all kinds of stuff, and your binoculars just kind of all over the place. And I got so frustrated that in the middle of the hunt, as we and it kind of as we'll kind of go through this, I ended up back at an archery shop in the middle of the hunt, like day three. And uh, I, I was looking online. I was sitting in a blind during the hunt on, on uh, one of my only nights that I actually sat in a blind on a water tank. And I literally, I had service. It was like the first day I had service. And I'm literally looking at binocular harnesses and pouches <laughs> on my phone going, I can't wait. I cannot wait to get back in town so I can buy another one because I just, I'm, I'm done with this one. And it's because it's, it, it, it's outdated. It, you know, they've made better ones, but I kind of want something else. Right. Um, and, and the only other thing was, it was, um, it was, uh, it was, believe it or not, broadheads. I changed my broadheads mid hunt. Ooh, now there, that's a, that's a change right there. And, um, I know yep. enough backstory here that I think I know the reason why you did that, but that's kind of crazy, man, to <laughs> a bino harness is one thing, but the part of your, the only part of your gear that's going to actually touch the elk while it's still living anyways is, uh. <laughs> <laughs> is uh gets changing gets changed mid hunt that's that's pretty crazy man i didn't i didn't realize that you did that i know that there were some other adjustments made but i did not know that uh you uh switched up the old broadhead so i'm excited to i'm excited to hear how that whole uh siding in and tuning process went after you did that but but um no if you haven't found a new bino harness yet um I got one that I had my eye on for a long time, and then uh, somebody gave me another one for Christmas that works well enough to no need to change. So uh, I might uh, send a recommendation your way. But it, uh, well, I, I did change. Oh, so you did. You did buy one at the shop with the broadheads. I I got lucky because exactly what I was looking for was at the shop. There you go. Like of, of of all of all things that they could have had at the shop, they literally had exactly what I was looking for online. <laughs> did you do a little, I mean, you you do could, a little happy dance. I don't know if it was a happy dance. I, I wasn't even paying attention. I was, I was looking around, uh, kind of waiting around for my bow and I turned and I was like, they're like, they're on the wall. Like, <laughs> like this is, you know, it's a, it's a kid in the candy store kind of a right, deal. Right. right. And you're like, like, I can't believe this. You know what always happens and, to I mean, me it, when that happens is I'm like, that's the exact thing I need right now. I don't care what the price is. And then you go and look at the price. You're like, Oh, maybe not. <laughs> well, I you tell you up, what, the, you the, buy the, it anyways. Price, Cause you just have to. Yeah. And the, and the price, honestly, didn't, didn't make that much of a difference. I think it was like a, 
it was like a ten dollar difference. Oh yeah, so totally I, worth it. At that point, I was like, oh yeah, sign me up. Like immediate gratification <laughs> for ten bucks. You got yep, it. Yep. Yeah. So that's so a couple couple big adjustments there on the on the flight. Well, yeah. We've been we've been dancing around the main the main event. You know, we've we we've hit all the undercard fights for the main event. This is it. This is the this is the title fight that everyone has paid. Actually, nobody pays anything for this. It's a free resource, <laughs> of course. Always, as long as I can control it, will be. Uh, but uh, this is why you're here. You want to hear what went down. So let's start right there. Let's start with the arrival. I mean, when you showed up, when you were there on the landscape, pack on your back, bow in your hand, or strapped to your pack, however you did it, um, what was like your first impression? Um, who? Well, when I, you know, I flew in, I, I flew into Phoenix. I drove into like kind of our area uh, mm-hmm. where we were going to be camping. I had dropped my vehicle off a guy to come and pick me up, which by the way, that in itself almost like paid for the whole trip because <laughs> to have, to have a freaking rental car right now, it's like 125 bucks yeah. a day for like the crappiest vehicle you could find. Yeah. If I had to keep that for 10 days, I'd have been spending like $1,400 for the vehicle. I mean, that's just the dumbest waste of money ever. Uh, The fact that I could just drive for half the day and then give that back and have my guide pick me up. Yeah. I mean, it's a no brainer. I mean, in between the scouting and the just saving on the rental car, I I pretty much paid for the guide. (laughs) Wow. Um, But with that, uh, my first impression is actually where we so, – so I arrived a day before my hunt actually started. Even though the, the season had already started, it's a two-week season. Sure. I had picked to come in the later part of the season because I was I – was, I looked at the moon phases. The moon phases sucked for my week. But okay. what I had going with, you know, with me was potentially a little bit cooler weather and more rut action you know, depending on, you know, how that kind of shook out. I, I, I gauged it right. Let's put it that way. They weren't really vocal until I arrived there the night that I arrived there and kind of the day beforehand, I guess they were starting to get vocal, but, uh, we had half the day to basically spare. So my guide and I were like, all right, we're in camp. What do you want to do? And he's like, let's go hunt, man. Like, you know, let's, let's kind of get the, 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 the bearings. Um, and we were we were in some flat juniper country. Uh, I did not necessarily expect that. I kind of expected that we were going to go a little bit higher uh, in elevation, or at least uh, kind of higher onto a mesa or or a mountain. We were we were actually kind of we were on the bottom end of the mountain, and sure. that was a little bit. You know, I, I guess it caught me off guard. But I mean, we were probably in there for thirty minutes, and I had a bull in front of me and. At 10 feet in 30 minutes, you know, so, and I I passed on him. I'm literally looking at him 10 feet away from me face to face. And I'm like, I'm not going to shoot him. I mean, it's my very, it's not even my first day. Yeah. And it's, it's a nice bull. Don't get me wrong. It was just like, I, I, this would be too easy. Yeah. It it literally was going like, I'm not going to enjoy this trip because I literally would be tagged out right now in the first like 30 minutes of my hunt. So it's, it was kind of like. Uh, was, maybe was I'm going to shoot myself in the foot. But. Yeah. 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 That's what I was going <laughs> to ask. Was there any like haunting like thoughts in your head as soon as that, you know how that is whenever you're hunting and you decide to pass on something, the second you see it, like 
move into a position where it's like, well, it's out of the question now. You know, it's there, there's no shot. Did you yep. instantly feel that regret? Like, all right, what you know, like you shake your head for a second, like snap out of your trance. And you're like, what did I just do? Did you did you have that not, feeling? Not that day, okay. but I did have that feeling. But it wasn't on day day negative one. <laughs> so you had it later that's almost worse <laughs> i had it later i had it later going man day day negative one might have been good <laughs> oh no so, so let's let's uh let's get to the let's get through the drama that gets us to that point the the point where you're you're haunted by your decision there on day negative one as as you call it so yeah. so so what what transpired in between then and that time well, you know, I, I kind of take you day by day. So, so day negative one or negative half day, whatever we want to call it, the, you know, it was, it was fun. It was good to get into the action, had a bowl real close, real fast, you know, the, the day kind of flew by, right? So we were, I don't know, we were out at five o'clock by <clears throat> six o'clock. We were pretty much tapped out, go back to sure. camp day one. We, we get out into the same place in the morning and, and, you know, real, it was, it was all really run and gun style. There was really no sitting around. There was no kind of waiting. It was, it was actively pursuing elk. So we would get out and we would start, we would bugle or cow call and we would start listening to see if the elk were active in the morning. And it was very interesting. I would hear elk overnight from about 10 30 11 o'clock all the way to about two o'clock in the morning they were bugling screaming they were all wow. over around camp like they were active then kind of like from from 1 2 o'clock all the way to about five in the morning it was dead quiet hmm. it was almost like they just knew like just shut up hmm. you know yeah and and right around five in the morning, you know, we were we were getting into we were looking at our our Onyx maps and and I, I'm a I'm a big fan of base map. I've been using that, and so we were kind of using both flat platforms. We're looking at topo maps and so on and so forth. And we were like, all right, we're going to hit this spot. Our wind is going to be this way, and you know, we were we were very very intricate about what we were doing and where we were going. So, anyways. You know, we kind of saw where the wind was going. We were kind of playing that in our favor, and then we would kind of pick out where we would go. So we'd get out, we'd bugle, cow call, and then we'd listen. And nine times out of ten, literally the first cow call or bugle that we put out, usually cow call, we'd mm -hmm. hear a couple elk just screaming, you know, five, six hundred yards away. <laughs> oh, that's cool. So, so then immediately we were just booking it towards them. We were like, okay, sure. straight ahead or to the right or to the left or whatever, and then we were just going after them we'd get like a hundred or 200 yards away from them. And then we would kind of start setting up shop, to see if they were going to come in. And, uh, and you know, when I say that, I mean, my guide was doing that. I didn't have to do any calling. Typically I would, I would have a, a read in my mouth and I'd be calling or so on and so forth. Anyway, sure. he's doing that, which is nice. And I'm, I'm able to kind of set up, but, uh, I will say our first couple setups were just not good. And, and what I mean by that was we were trying to figure out the wind and kind of location of where, where my guide would be and where I would be. Uh, the second day in the more, well, technically the first day in the morning, we called in a, a nice bull and I can't say he was beautiful or not because I didn't see half of the bull, but I sure. was in a, I was, I was in a pine tree kind of line almost think of like five pine trees in a row. And these are, 
pretty short. Uh, there's no view in between these pine trees. It's not like a typical pine forest. These are like small pine trees, thick. And I was, I was kind of at the front of the pine tree and this bull came in and he hung up right at the very last pine tree in the row. <laughs> and, and he, all I could see is his fourths, fifths and sixths on his left side. <laughs> and, and I'm like, I'm like looking over and I'm like, his fourth is really nice. And he was like all his, his horns were all like bleach blonde white, you know, like, uh, and, and the night before the bull was like very dark, you know, so completely different looking bulls. And I'm like, man, I hope he comes in. He never came in. He literally, he hung tight at this. It was about a 30 yard spot. Never saw the other half of him and he blew out. So I don't know if he, got a wind to me or if he just saw some movement or whatever he just didn't feel right about it sure um at night we we went out we didn't we just didn't call in any good bulls so so kind of day one was was gone day two comes about and and day two kind of starts my pain and agony right so day two (laughs) in the morning we same thing where we go out, we call and we get into a spot and this is on a different mountain now that we're at and we're actually kind of higher up. We're, we're almost toward the top of this mountain and we're kind of getting into kind of like a, like a flat spot at the top. Okay. And then there's, there's a ridge that kind of goes over and it goes into a, like a little bowl. And, uh, this bull comes in and he comes again, he comes straight on from me which was like really strange. I'm like, how do I get these bulls to not come straight onto me when my guide's calling and he's an X spot, you know? Right. Um, anyways, he comes straight on and he was, a, he was a nice bull. And I ended up, uh, I, I had drawn back cause I was waiting for this bull to come back. And I'm like, dang, he's a nice bull. I literally shoot at him. And my, my arrow goes like seven inches to the right of him. <sighs> And, and I'm shooting like, I'm, I'm shooting towards like, um, I'm shooting at his neck. I'm basically like, I'm going to tap him out at his, you know, I'm just going to shoot him straight in the neck. It's going to bleed out. Everything's going to be fine. And obviously that was not the case. He, he, he saw my arrow. I shot at him. I missed him. And I'm like, what in the world just happened? And my, my, my guide is like, dude, you, you, you know, you, like I watched you shoot, you, you did, you're like, your form was off. And I go, you know, like hindsight, I, as soon as I shot it, I kind of felt like I shanked the shot sure. and, and I did, there was, there was no doubt about it. I got excited. Uh, he kind of caught off, caught me off guard coming straight into me because I expected him to come like 15 yards, uh, to the right of me. Uh huh. And and it is what it is. Like, I totally was like, yeah, dude, I, I totally shanked the shot. Not a big deal. That's on me. No problem. So, so now uh, like what, let's, let's break that down here. Just a second. You think like you just like torqued your grip or that's, that's exactly it. Okay. I, I shoot an IQ, I shoot an IQ bow sight, which I love. Okay. And I, you know, I have, I have three sites right now sitting on my workbench and, <laughs> and I, I, I favor that IQ bow site because I really like it. It teaches you to be a better shooter because you have to have your level on and then you have this IQ site that's on and it basically makes you know that your anchor point is perfect every time. Okay. Um, 
I didn't pay attention to my IQ site because this guy crept up on me so fast that I was just like, yep, pull, bang. Oh. And when I did that, my my hand placement, I, I just torqued my bow. Like I was holding onto my bow, mm-hmm. not normally. Yep. And and that's because of how I, I was kneeling. Uh, I was kneeling on my knees to shoot at, and I was kind of to the side of a little like pine tree. So anyways, hindsight 2020, it was a terrible shot. It's my fault. Not a big deal. Sure. Uh, I could not find my arrow. So so my arrow was gone. I don't know where a poof disappeared. <laughs> Isn't that crazy and, how that you know, happens? It's like it's not. It's like it should be right here, and <laughs> it is. It should be, and I, and I watched it, and I paid attention to the trajectory, but who knows? It went into the ground or whatever the case is. It was gone. <laughs> yeah. So so that evening, we go out and and uh, we get into, uh, and and it was pretty awesome. It was like what you would watch on TV, right? It was like kind of this perfect depiction of like the elk rut. And my guide was talking about it. He's like, you know, have you been into like, have you been in an elk frenzy? And I'm like, I don't even know what that is. Like, <laughs> I don't I've know what it elk, is, but I'd sure like the, to find out what it's like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm like, I'm like, I've been in the rut, you know, where like you're, you know, you cow call or you do whatever. And, and, and this, you know, the, the bulls are active and he's like, yeah, but you know, an elk frenzy is basically where you're like in an area and there's like not five seconds without a bull bugling. Cause they're all competing. There's cows oh, and they're chasing man. and it's just this, it's like an elk party. And I was like, I could tell you hands down, I've not experienced that. <laughs> so, so we're talking about that at camp in the morning. Sure as heck we get out at night and that's exactly what we experience. We, we get onto this ridge. We're trying to call these bulls in and none of the bulls are coming in. And we literally get to the top of this this mountain and we kind of like go over the ridge and we get into this bowl and it's just, it's green and there's trees and it, it I mean, it kind of looks like, it, it looks like elk heaven. Okay. It was, <laughs> it was just perfect. And, and literally I'm looking down and my guide's like, look, there's, there's two bulls right there. And it was like two probably two-year-old bulls and they're like sparring with one another oh, they're kind of that playing is cool. and then and then we look over into kind of the horizon and there's there's three more bulls and they're all like just screaming their heads off and they got a couple cows around them there's a couple spikes that that were that were right there as well then there was another bull that popped up out of nowhere next to those two young sparring bulls and he was he was pretty funky looking, uh, but, but he was probably maybe a four-year-old bull. And then I look over farther to the horizon. I keep hearing this bull screaming, but I can't, I can't figure out where he's at. And he ended up being the herd bull and he had eight cows with him. Wow. And, and I'm like, all right, well, let's go after the herd bull. We haven't seen him, but clearly we know he's a herd bull because he's got right. the most cows, right? right. <laughs> so we end up kind of hoofing it i don't know four or five hundred yards to the right of us and we're kind of following along the ridge none of the none of the elk in that like little elk heaven area have a clue that we're there and the wind is perfect for us it's going the opposite direction so so we're game on and we get in the into this area and we find the the bedded bull and this he's like bedded at like 545 at night i'm like this is absurd He's bedded. He's just screaming. He won't move. And he's got cows all around him. And my guide's like, all right, go and like, go and 
get in front of this tree and like, uh, you know, we're going to try to get the bull over to you. So I like, I wish I can depict this, but think of like, um, I'm at the end of a pine tree and I'm trying to become a part of this pine tree <laughs> and every, everything in the next like hundred yards in front of you and hundred yards to the right of you and a hundred yards to the left of you is just burnt dead wood oh, and it's wow. wide open. There's just nothing in front of you. And, and the only thing that you can kind of like hide yourself behind is a piece of dead, dead tree, but it's like not enough to even, it's not even wide enough to like hide you. Right. Sure. And this, this bull gets up and my guide's about not even, he's 10 yards behind me and he, he cow calls and then he, he, uh, bugles and then he's got an antler set and he starts raking it on a tree (sighs) and the next thing that happens, I could have never imagined, right? So I'm, I'm on my knees in front of this pine tree. He's behind me 10 yards. As soon as he bugles and starts scraping this tree, these eight cows literally lose their minds. They get in single file line and they're coming straight for us. Oh my As if goodness. they're like, they're like, we want to go on to the fresh new thing that's over here. So they just book it. <laughs> And, and I'm like lost, right? Cause I'm like, man, I don't even know what to do at this point. Cause these, <laughs> these cows are coming straight for him and, and they're basically coming straight for me. Right. And I'm like, <laughs> I gotta be frozen at this point. So, so this bull, he starts running after him. So now my guide's like, come back, come back, come back. So I like run back <laughs> under this tree. Well, I run back under this tree and these cows see me running oh, back no. behind this tree. So now they're like, what is going on? Oh, so no. they stop in the middle of the field. They're like 60 that clocked them. They were 63 yards away. So, so they're like, something's not right. So then they end up going over the ridge and this bull comes in and he stops at like 63 yards. And I'm like, there's no way that I can one the bull, the bull's not big. He's like, he's maybe a 310 inch bull and he's the herd bull, which but, you know, I'm not, I, I, my bull is probably the the bull that I ended up, spoiler alert, I ended up shooting a bull, <laughs> but my, my bull is probably no bigger than that bull sure. that, that was there. But for day two at night or whatever it was, and he's the herd bull is not the size of bull that I expected Right out of like 11 bulls in this basin. Right. 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 But by no means was I going to shoot a 63 yard shot in, in kind of a not conventional scenario so anyways that hunts over he boogers out the whole deal gone still just a cool encounter though i mean you're sitting there in a burned out forest so which i'm guessing probably within the last couple years of western fires was was that kind of a result of that do you think it was it was uh it was a it was a fire five years ago okay and a lot of the a lot of the vegetation came back. It was great feeding ground, sure. but but you have no real cover. All, you know, yeah, all of pretty, the trees are challenging. Hunt. Yeah, yeah, you're kind of like you're hunting in like open open uh, prairie almost. Yeah, you know, yeah. but uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, it, uh, hands down, really cool experience. But I could tell my guide was frustrated. And, uh, and I was like, man, like, I'm thinking I didn't really like bring it up to him because, because afterwards he kind of would be like, man, that was kind of a weird scenario. I didn't expect that to happen. You know, I didn't, I didn't think the cows were going to come straight to me. So anyways, we kind of talked through it at camp at night. And then, um, 
you know, we kind of game plan for the morning. So in the morning we were like, all right, we're not going back to that place. We're going to go to this place. So we, we go to another place in the morning and, uh, boy, what a, what a, what an amazing spot. We were basically on the East side of the mountain where we hunted the night before and same deal, uh, about six o'clock in the morning. So, so we were probably hunting for about 45 minutes or so an hour. Maybe we're here in bugles, so on and so forth. And we spot a really nice herd bull with, uh, he had, a, he, I think he had four or five cows with them oh, and he man. was three quarters up the mountain. And, um, so we, we basically set up shop in an area we're calling them and I can hear the bull coming. I can hear rocks, uh, basically shuffling and falling down and the whole nine. And I'm like, he's going to come right in this area. Cause this is, this is the transition area of where he's going to come in. And, uh, the weirdest thing happens, we're calling and the whole deal. And I can't see that bull coming in, Okay, but instead there's like eight cows that come into sight and they, they see us and, and the herd, the, like the lead cow, she comes around us and basically she, she smells us. Oh no. And then she takes her eight cows around us. And they go to the back end of this ridge. Well, this monster bull comes in. And when I say monster bull, I mean, he's he's at least 30 to 40 inches bigger than, like, the herd bull that we were looking. Like, the herd bull was probably, like, a 320 bull, like, like being conservative. Sure. This was, like, a three 360 bull. I mean, he's Whoa. a giant. You could tell he's towering over trees. Yeah, I mean, the yeah. whole deal. I have no clue where he came from. I'm literally like looking and I'm like, I'm looking at my guide. I'm like, where in the world did this bull come from? He's not the one that we just glassed up. So we start going after him and he wants nothing to do with us. He's following his cows. He ends up going over the ridge. Is your, at uh, this point, like you, you were talking about your guy was a little frustrated with how the last encounter went. Is he, is he like, is he start? Did, I mean, no knock against him, but he's you know he's making a judgment call on who he's hunting with and everything too. What what their capability is? Is he kind of getting like? Is he still staying pretty aggressive? Like, let's go get this done, or is he like, well, I don't know. He's a ways off there. Maybe we should, you know, look for something a little bit easier. Or was he still like, no, that's that's our shot. Let's go get it. Okay, all you fellow first-gen hunters, veteran hunters, and anyone else with a great big fat hunting dream that you have not yet tapped into, I'm talking directly to you right now. And this is a personal testimony. Yep, you're hearing it straight from the horse's mouth. And that is because I am a customer of good old Alex Gruen over at East to West Hunts. And I'm going to tell you right now, there is not a better hunt planning service in the business here is how thorough alex is i'm just going to give you that that first person testimonial that hopefully will help seal the deal for you after i get done recording this ad i'm going to use a promo code that alex sent to me via text message to save me big bucks on a really nice hunting pack that i've had my eye on for months now and uh, he just kind of came up with this promo code just yesterday, got it in the mail or something. He said, you know what? I'm going to save this for you. I know you got your eye on this pack. He sent it to me. 
Alex has sent me workout tips. Alex has been there around the clock from all my inquiries on different pieces of gear, from sleeping bags to tents to rifle scopes, and he's got connections all over the place, so he he knows where to send you to get you the right stuff to not only make it so that you can get out on the hunt, but you can be comfortable, get a good night's sleep, and hunt effectively each and every day of your trip, truly maximizing the dollars spent to get there. And I think that's probably the biggest value in all of this. Alex has so much experience hunting all over North America that when he sends you somewhere, you're not going there blind. No, he's going to send you to specific places within these units that he, either through his vast network with guides and outfitters or from his own personal experience, his own waypoints that he's saved on his hunting maps that he'll share with you so that you have the best chance at being successful. So head over to www.alexgruen.com and do your hunt planning with Alex through East to West Hunts. Be sure though, when you go through and you start checking out all the options, I should say he's got multiple options there, depending on what your the right price point is for you. Be sure you enter the First Gen Hunter Podcast listener code first gen 10 at checkout when you enter that in you'll get 10 percent off of any service you purchase through alex again that's www.alexgruen.com use the promo code first gen the number 10 at checkout save yourself 10 percent and get going on that hunt that you've been putting on the back burner for all these years no he was I mean, he was, he was fantastic. What he was frustrated with, which was all my fault. Um, and again, I, I'm, I'm big on personal ownership. Sure. He was getting, he was getting these bulls in, but he would be like, go over here and set up over here. Well, what I was doing was I was setting up to the side of like a tree. So like if I had a pine tree or I had a juniper, I was like to the side of it. Sure. And what he was meaning was like, get into the tree. Like basically like if you got a middle of the tree, like I want you to become a part of this tree. And, uh, the first like two or three times that we had encounters with bulls, the pull, the bulls or the cows, whatever was coming in, they were pegging me. Like they would gotcha. literally like walk in and they would stare at me. And it was because I was like to the side of this tree. Sure. And, and, and I kind of, I, you know, I was totally open and I'm like, well, like, what am I doing wrong? Like, I can see you're frustrated, but what am I doing wrong? And he's like, like, stop being a blob on the side of this tree. <laughs> like get, get into the tree. Cause he's like, I don't understand why these, why these elk are pegging you so fast. And I'm like, I'm like, I do, I don't know. Because like, like one of the, one of the bulls that pegged me that never came in on day one, I, I was, I was part of the tree. Right. Yeah. Like I was in between two pine trees. There's no way he saw me. He probably either heard something or he smelled me. Right. right. That's, that's fine. Right. But anyways, we kind of worked through all of this and we talked through it. And again, I'm humble pie. Like I'm not going to sit there and argue with my guide. Like I'm like, dude, I'm paying you yeah, right. and you know your stuff. I'm going to listen to you, but I also want to be open and say like, Hey, what am I yeah, screwing right, up? Like, right. don't sit there upset. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good that you did that. That's a good little tip there so, too. Yeah. Don't, don't sit there and pretend like, you know, everything you don't, you know, right. like I, I've been hunting for years and I've been in such 
situations and and every year I can learn something new. So I'm like, Hey, what am I, what do you want me to do? You know, that was the biggest thing. And he's like, here's what I want you to do. So I said, okay, let's literally, this is like work talk, right? I'm like, let's role play. (laughs) All right. We got, we got a bull coming in. He's going to come in from here. Where do you want me to sit? And he's like, I want you to stand right here and I want you to back up into this tree. And I want you to make sure that, that when you pull back, you're not going to hit any kind of dead branch. And I was like, dude, that's what you should have said day one. Okay. That's what you should have said day one, because guess what? Nobody knows every environment's different, right? I'm hunting junipers. I've hunted monogamy, mahoganies. I've hunted, uh, pine trees. I've hunted, uh, flat, flat plains. Every single scenario presents different, you know, and, and, and every single hunt presents different because if you're hunting in the rut or pre-rut or post-rut or whatever the case is, you gotta, you gotta change what you're doing. Yep. So, so anyways, no, I mean, he was great, but it was, it kind of took, it took me opening up to say, all right, dude, like, what do you, what do you want me to do different? Because clearly what we're doing right now, it's working, but it's not working because the bulls are coming in head on to me and that's not a good shot. Right. So, so I told him, I said, Hey, here's the deal. If the wind's going here, I want you to go over there and I'll sit over here. If we can plan that together, we're good. So that's what we did moving forward. And it worked out flawlessly. We were just, we were playing the wind and we were kind of playing the scenario of what was happening the past few days. Cause I was like, it, we're getting close encounters, but we're not getting the job done. Right. Right. You know, well, that's, and that's, that, so, that's good for you to, cause I think, you know, specifically talking to first gen hunters here, we can get in that, mode where we get to those close calls and we think that well the cookie just didn't crumble my way and sometimes that is the case every every successful hunt does have some level of luck behind it in the end but but that we have more control too than what we think i i would i would say and so when you get to those if you're having close encounter after close encounter it's not it becomes a point where it's not just because you're not you know, lucking out in the end and getting, getting the opportunity is because something's not right and you need to get it right. So good, good on you guys for right. figuring that out. Well, yeah. So, so anyways, you know, kind of as the story goes here though, um, you know, that same, that, that same hunt. So anyways, we get, we get the bull, to, we get that bull, he goes over the horizon into the, into the ridge and I end up seeing two other hunters that came down oh. and, and the bull that I that we were calling in, he clearly disappeared because these these hunters came over the ridge. Oh. So so then we're sitting there going, okay, do we want to go back to the truck and go back to camp, or do we want to kind of figure out where these hunters are going? And it kind of naturally worked out. We headed towards we headed back towards our truck, and these hunters were actually on the side of the road. So we ran into them, super nice guys, and they were like you know, they were like, Hey, did you see that monster bull come over the ridge? (laughs) And I, and now I'm like looking at him cross-eyed and I'm like, and I'm looking at my guide and I'm like, what monster bull are you talking about? And they're like, Oh, well we we were coming up, we were coming up the mountain this way. And this monster bull and his eight cows came up over the ridge. So, so first thing that comes into my mind, okay, really cool dudes, really bad move. You guys parked, you guys parked and you had the wind to your back and you came up the oh. mountain. So, so what ended up happening was we were calling this bull in off of the side of the mountain. This big bull with his eight cows came running up because these guys basically were blowing. <laughs> they're pushing them your they're, way. They're set. They're pushing us. <laughs> yeah, they're pushing them up. Running our way. an elk drive. <laughs> 
<laughs> right. So, so, so yeah, we don't know that. Right? <laughs> right, yeah. So we're sitting there. These, these, this bull comes over and then he runs into us because his cows see him. Sure. So he's kind of getting banged up on both sides, right? He's seeing these hunters. Then he runs into more hunters. So now he goes back the other way and goes west of us. Um, so we're kind of trying to put two and two together and, you know, and then we start talking to them and, and, you know, we left the conversation. They were cool. We went back in the truck and we're talking and we're like, okay, so clearly what happened was we were calling this bull in. These guys heard the calls. They come up with a mountain. They blow this big bull up the mountain that we didn't even have a clue was there. We see him. He wants something to do with us. He goes beelining it across the ridge again. And, and now we're kind of in, we, we never got a shot opportunity because I mean, the whole thing was kind of just screwed up at the end of the day. Um, we go back to camp the night of, we get back out and we start calling in bulls. We, we, we actually go to this, it's like a rock pile and we're glassing off of this rock pile. And I kid you not, we do one cow call and this five by five comes flying in from like 400 yards (laughs) and and we're like, we're probably 50 yards above him. So he can't see us, but he comes into like 80 yards. And, uh, I talked to my guy and I said, listen, man, I said, he's a last day kind of bull. Like if, if we get to the last day, we know where he's at. We'll come back for him. Uh, let's go over the ridge. So we end up going over the ridge. We get to another spot and, uh, we start calling in some, some bigger bulls and we get a bull that comes in but he has no interest in us as a cow call, which was really interesting. He actually comes and avoids us at about a hundred yards and he goes fully around us. And now I'm like, he's a pretty big bull. He was broken off on one side. Had he been fully racked, he'd be, you know, he'd be like a three thirty bull. He was, he was very nice. Uh, but I said, you know, he's got character. I like that. He's broken off. Totally cool. Let's try to get him in. So we start trying to follow him. And, uh, my guy does a bugle and he starts raking. And as soon as he bugles and starts raking this bull, like completely, like literally we watch him go straight away from us, turns around and comes straight towards us. (laughs) And, uh, he ends up 15 yards away from us. And again, he's literally like, he's pretty straight on with me. And I'm like, I'm going to shoot him right in the neck. I shoot. And my arrow goes like five yards to the right of him. And now I'm like, I look at my guide and I'm, you know, I'm muttering a few words and, uh, I'm like appalled. And I go, I didn't shank the shot. Like, there's no way I shank the shot. Like I, I know when I screw up, I didn't screw up. And, uh, anyways, that kind of, that kind of solidified the night. We get back to camp and I'm like, we're, we're sitting there talking and I'm like, I got to be honest with you. You might think I'm crazy, but I didn't screw up that shot. Like something's, something's just not right with my bow. So we wake up in the morning and, um, we go hunt and we don't, we don't really do anything. We get back to camp and I end up, we had a target in camp. I ended up putting my field points on and I ended up shooting at the target and I'm like, five to seven inches to the right oh, man. on my target. And that's way exaggerated so I, than with a broadhead on there. Correct. So I end up, so, so, uh, tip to everybody before you go hunt, uh, I had taken like a gray, 
uh, it was like a silver Sharpie and I had marked all of my points on my site to make sure that when I look at my site, I can tell it's aligned. Well, sure as heck, I go look at it in the morning and my site has moved like half a centimeter. Oh man. So I don't know. I don't know what I did, whether I knocked a rock or I hit yeah, a bush or a tree or whatever. you must have hit something diving into one of those trees. It had to have been. But anyways, I'm telling my guide, I'm like, dude, I'm like, I'm glad I marked this because I'm like, I'm off, but my sight has moved drastically. So I ended up moving my sight. I end up getting dialed back in. Everything's good and dandy. What, uh, and he's like, I can't, well, I can't believe your, your sight moved that much. Well, well I mean, and before he knew that, you know, just because it's part of the drama here, what was his attitude kind of like at that point? Was it like, okay, I, we're just going to go through this full week. This guy has, he, he's not going to be able to get this done. Or was he was he buying what you were saying? Like, dude, this is something is up. I've practiced enough. I know that it's not on me this time. What was kind of his his like attitude, posture? Like, what what was he kind of feeling at this? And again, not, not to judge yeah, him. It's yeah, a totally yeah. well, natural thing. The guy hunts with people all year long. He sees experience levels of all kinds. You know, sure. What what was kind of his like? How how is he doing at this point? I think he was frustrated, but at the same point, the the first shot, he was frustrated, but he could tell that I screwed it up. The second shot, he was a little bit puzzled. Mm-hmm. And when I showed him my sight and the markings, he was like, that makes sense. Yeah, and, he, probably and, a relief, and, then, and he's right. It's probably relief. For it, him. It, was, it was a relief. It, it was for a relief for yeah, both of us. Right. right. It's an emotional roller coaster at that point. You're like, man, I practiced for, you know, X amount of months. I, I, I can't get this done. You know, this is frustrating. And. Uh, when he saw that and he saw my sight and my markings, he's like, I'm glad that you marked that because that makes me feel better. And then when I started shooting and I'm spot on again, everything's fine. Yeah. So anyways, hindsight 2020, the next day we go out and we call in a bull at last light. And, uh, it was, it was a, it, it was probably the coolest thing of the whole trip. Uh, we're in, we're at like a field edge and we probably got, we, you know, if you kind of picture it, you got, you got junipers all around in like in this big, like, you know, three, four, 500 acre area. Sure. Then you got an opening and it's just, just grass. And then you get another like juniper area and that's like another pocket where they would, they would bed down. Well, we had a, uh, we had a spike come in. And, uh, he goes to the left of us and the wind was kind of going that way. So we, we had him cross over the field. He came over to the left and literally we were just waiting for him to wind us. He winded us and he runs back across. As we see him run back across, we see a couple, we see a cow and a calf cross over from our side, probably about 300 yards over to my left. They cross over to the, to the, uh, you know, kind of to the next patch across the field Mm -hmm. and and about a minute after this big bull comes in and the big bull that comes in is the one of the bulls that he glassed up the week before and it was a nice bull he was like a 340 bull oh nice and and i'm going dude i i want to i want to hit that bull you know i want to shoot him so so any anyways he ends up doing a he ends up cow calling and he ends up getting the spikes attention, but he ends up like, I don't know, five minutes in and he, and he's kind of like, 
I, I, I wouldn't have done this, but he was like aggressively calling like nonstop for like five minutes straight cow calls. And I'm like, man, like I'm starting to question what he's yeah, doing. Right. And out of nowhere from, from like the right side of this patch, I see the cow and the calf come flying across the field towards us. And this bull Lo and behold, I can't even see him because I got pine trees in front of me kind of blocking me. But lo and behold, this 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 bull comes flying behind him and he's like 40 yards behind him. And right as he's coming, my my guy does a couple mews and he ends up stopping him. And he's like, he's at 35. He's at 35 because he's ranging for me. Yeah, I pull back and I end up shooting and I hear whack. Right. So I'm like, dude, I smoked him. Right. Yeah. He had stopped. I smoked him. It's last light, whatever. So anyways, I, I put a marker on my, uh, I, I put a marker, like I used an arrow and I marked in the ground where he was at. And I said, we'll come back tomorrow morning. Uh, because uh, last thing I want to do is trudge around in the middle of the evening. Right. Right. So, so we're happy go lucky. We're talking about it at camp the whole nine. We're ready to, to go in in the morning. So we get there in the morning and we slept in a little bit. Everything's hunky dory. We get in there and I find my arrow that I had put down and I can see his hoof prints of where he kind of like started running. Mm -hmm. And now we track this thing for like five, 600 yards. We're tracking just the hoof prints. So no, so <laughs> no, find, no blood yet. I can't, I can't find one ounce of blood, man. <sighs> like not one ounce of blood. Oh, and, uh, and we're like grid searching and we're going through this whole area. We end up running into other hunters and, and we're like, dude, if you see a dead bull, like, you know, find him, whatever. And I'm talking to my guide and I'm like, I don't know, man, I don't know what to tell you. You know, um, I end up, I end up finding my arrow broken off and there's uh. like, it's, it's, I mean, honestly, it barely even penetrated him. So I clearly had hit him in bone and he broke it off uh, against a tree. And th but there was no blood. I mean, the fact that there was no blood was just, uh, it was demoralizing, right? You're like, man, I, sh I shot this bull. He was a beautiful bull. He was the bull that I wanted to shoot. And the shot just didn't go the way that I wanted. And and I have n I have no proof of even blood. You know, at right. this point, I'm like, the, the bull's going to live. Uh, I've completely grid searched the whole area. We spent the whole day searching, oh, you know, man. So, so that sucked. So, so then I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> what a guy, roller I'm like, coaster, man. <laughs> to total roller coaster. Right. So, so I end up, um, I I'm at this point, like about to call the hunt. Right. Cause yeah. I'm like, I, I shot a bull, uh, no matter what it takes. Right. I'm like, it is what it is. I shot, I shot a bull. I, I have, I didn't see any blood. So, you know, you can say you drew blood, but whatever, you know, I, for all I know, I shot him in the hoof, you know what I mean? <laughs> right, I yeah, mean, it, yeah. it, you know, and, um, anyways, it, you know, whether it was a bad shot or I overshot or whatever I did, I, I couldn't tell. I didn't have a Luminoc on. I, I, it is what it is. And, and I felt like we definitely did our due diligence. I mean, we searched that area hand over foot, not finding anything. So, so my guide's like, you know, it, it'd be different if you, if you pass through him, but the fact that you got an inch of penetration and we have no blood, like that just tells you like, he's not, he's not dying. 
you know, like he's going to survive. He's like, these guys go through fights where they got six or seven inches of, uh, of horn going through oh, them and they're yeah. fine, you know? So, yep. so, um, so, so I'm like, okay, I understand that, but I'm like, here's the thing. Um, we need to go back into town. And he's like, what do you mean? And I said, we need to go back to that archery shop that, that he, we had stopped at at this archery shop on the way in because his boot laces had torn and he needed a new boot lace. So we stopped there and I was like, Oh, this is a really nice archery shop. So we went back to this archery shop and I tell the guys what happened and they're like, all right, let's reconfigure your bow. So kind of to your tune in process, we basically went to max poundage on my bow. Uh, we shortened my arrows by about an inch. Wow. And then I ended that's up changing big, my broadhead. That's broad a big difference. It is a big difference. And they were like, you know, your your arrow could get a little bit shorter. You don't need it as long based on your draw weight So they, they or your draw length. So they changed my, my, uh, my arrow size. And then they, they had talked me into a different arrow. It's a fixed blade. It's called Kudu. And, uh, I had, I had seen them before, but I never shot them and they really look like a, a native American style broadhead. So kind of a a, a, a single bevel type thing. It's a, it's a single bevel deal. And, uh, their whole premise was the, the point of this arrow is you're going to get more penetration because of the way that it is. It's flat. And if you have a wider broadhead, this wider broadhead has to penetrate further, but it also takes up more mass, meaning it's not going to get in as far. So if you're trying to shoot through a shoulder or a rib or whatever it was, you're probably going to want to have this, but in exchange, you're also not going to get a huge blood trail. Like that was their like, uh, there was their like pitch, but at the same point they were like, here's kind of the fine print. Like you got to know you're going to get more pass through or more penetration, but at the same point, you're probably not going to have a huge blood trail. So like you, you got to know that, but it's, it's hands down, like the best broadhead that we sell. And here's kind of the results. So I said, listen, I'm going to listen to you. You guys know, again, I'm not going into this hard headed. I'm going to listen to them. Right. And this was hands down out of all the archery shops that I've ever been at. This was hands down the best archery shop yeah, I've ever been cool. at. Like <laughs> good timing. <laughs> it was great, man. They had like five guys working. Um, I needed my peep sight re re tied. So I literally gave him my bow. I was like, tie in my peep sight. Let's cut my arrows. I'll get these, this, uh, this broadhead. And then just so happens as they're doing that, I turn around and I find my new, uh, my new bino harness that I wanted. <laughs> yeah, I'll and the take range one of these too. <laughs> so I was like, all right, I'm already here spending a ton of money. Let's just get it over with. So I, I get those things. And then they have an archery range in the shop. So I end up shooting at 20 yards and I'm dialed in. I mean, I'm hitting a piece of paper a quarter size at 20 yards. They let you try, they let you try your broadheads in there? They did. Wow. They did. That's nice of them. Yeah, the the owner uh, sat in there with us to make sure that I behaved. But I mean, I was like, <laughs> you know, but he he was awesome. Yeah. I mean, he really explained everything in detail. He talked about my form. He talked about my sight. Uh, he actually talked about my release and kind of like where to place it. Like everything was great. I couldn't speak more highly enough about him. I would say this. Uh, I would, I would actually consider if I was in that area, I would go and buy a new bow from that place from 2000 miles away. That's how good they were. So, so anyways, so the next morning we, we get up, 
new configuration. I had shot at camp a little bit. Everything's dialed in. I'm in my guides. Like, how do you feel? And I'm like, I feel great, man. Like I just feel great about the confidence of what's going on. I feel legit about what these guys talked about. I said, you know, I woke up this morning going, we're going to get it done this morning. So Mm. this is now, this is day five. And, and, and I just told him, I said, listen, I'm all for, my goals and what I want to shoot and all that. But knowing that I hit this 340 and I didn't even make a mark on them. And, uh, you know, we, we, you know, it is what it is. We're, we're, we're continuing to hunt. We know that bull's alive and, um, you know, we're going to, we're going to go in a completely different area. So we go into this other area that we had hunted, I don't know, day two or whatever. And it's, it's, 5 40 in the morning we're bugling we got or we're cow calling we got we got bulls screaming and we set up and he sets up to the right of me about 20 yards and i set up about 15 yards to the left of him i'm probably about 30 40 yards away from him in total and and at this point I've kind of learned what's going to happen because I can kind of tell what's going to happen in between these junipers and where these, where these elk are going to come from. So I had set up in front of this like pine tree, but I became like a part of this pine tree. And I was like, I'm going to put 90% of my paycheck that this bull is going to come right in front of me. here. (laughs) And, and sure as heck, he calls him in and, and he comes in straight from him. So he can see him and I can see my guide pull up his phone to start videoing this bull. So I'm like, I know this bull's coming in. I just can't see him. Yeah. So I draw back at this point because I'm like, if this bull is going to come in, I don't want to be drawing when he's in front of me and then he's going to catch my movement. Right. Right. So I'm, I'm holding about a minute straight and this bull comes and he, of course he hangs up right in front of this little tiny pine tree, right in, right in front of his vitals. And I'm going, I don't know how much longer I can hold his bow, but he better take another like three steps. And, uh, and sure as heck he does, he takes another three steps and, and now I'm purposely looking at his lungs. I don't even care about right behind the shoulder, trying to get him in the heart. I'm going I'm going to double lung him and I know he's going to die. Yeah. And, and that's exactly what I did. I shot him and he immediately, he like, as soon as it hit him, he looked at me and then he like turned and ran. So it was like this thing of like, he kind of looked at me like, dude, you screwed me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks man. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, totally. And then he ran, he ran off. So, so my guide comes up and he's like, how you feel about the shot? And I said, dude, I smoked him. Like, there's no, no form of lack of confidence in the fact that I smoked him. I said, now I just don't know how darn far that, that, uh, arrow went into him, you know, uh, because I'm questioning my own thing. Right. right? Yeah. I'm like after that last shot where I saw an inch go into him, I'm like that, well, that bull, he's not even phased. Right. But the fact that this guy, you know, he came in, I shot him at 14 yards. So super close. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of questioning myself, but I know that the shot was good. So, so anyways, he's like, all right, well, let's give him 15 minutes or so in the, in the midst of this 15 minutes, I hear another bull and he's coming up the same Ridge. <laughs> so my guy's like, what do you want to do? I said, dude, let's call him in. Let's video it. Like, like this is our chance. We have nothing to lose. Let's have some yeah. fun, you know? So he calls him up and we're videoing this whole thing. And this bull comes in and 
And he's a little bit taller than my bull. He looks bigger than my bull, but the problem is his fronts were a little bit less than my bulls, but he was taller. Like, like you could tell he was higher based on some trees. So I don't know score wise where he would kind of fit. I, I would actually venture to bet they were pretty close, but it didn't matter. Right. Like I, I knew the bull that I shot. I was super happy. I wasn't, I wasn't right, at no right. point yeah, sitting yeah, there yeah. going, going, Oh, I'm devastated that this bull came in but but the encounter was cool we got the video on for like a good five minutes or so and he's screaming his head off at like 30 yards <laughs> and i, I if, think if, you, is that the video you sent me yeah i sent you that oh, video yeah that is so cool i passed that yeah. i circulated that one around a little bit to uh, Did some, some uh, people who have been a big part of the show in the past so well you know and here's <laughs> the thing like if, you, if you've never been in that experience and i and i've been through it a few times now but like you you're in shock and awe at how big these animals are. But when they're coming up and you see their horns towering you and you see this animal, you know, it's, it's, it's the size of a Clydesdale with, you know, five, (laughs) five foot of horns on top of them. And then they're screaming. It's literally like watching Godzilla walking up to you, you know? (laughs) And, and, and you have this just huge appreciation for this animal and, and you're sitting there videoing them and you're, I'm like, this is just so cool. Yeah. I I sent that, I sent that video to a a friend of mine that I've mentioned on the show many times, Mr. Luke Fritch. And uh, he said, when I saw that bull step out from behind that tree, my heart dropped into my stomach. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like oh, that's, that's awesome because if you if you don't really know what you're looking at at first you're like okay what's going on here and you know i'm sure there's a reason they sent me this video and then all yep, of a sudden yep. boom <laughs> well the, the first like minute is like suspenseful because yeah. you don't really know what's going to happen and uh, trying to send it a five minute video to you i had <laughs> right, to like right. cut it into like i don't know five or six different different videos but but super cool, you know, and, yeah. and anyways, he ends up, he ends up going around us and literally my guide and I are like doing a countdown. We're like three, two, one. Cause we were like waiting for him to get our wind. And as soon as like, I don't know, it was like, it was about five seconds. We counted three, but as soon as five seconds hit, we knew the wind hit him and he boogered off. Like we yep. could hear him run off. And, uh, another thing. Um, their noses are amazing. You can't outrun their nose, but you got to play the wind. Cause if you play the wind, you win every time. Sure. And, uh, the fact that you could count down on your fingers, five seconds to know <laughs> that that bull is going to hit your scent and booger off. And they do it, It's mind boggling, but, but that's literally how good they are. I mean, they can smell you, uh, from a mile away. And if you don't play the wind, you're, you're just, you're just dumb. Right, I, I, right. I have to tell you that, but, but anyways, uh, you know, so he boogers off and then we're like, all right, let's go after, let's go after the bull. And, you know, one of the things that doesn't happen often in Arizona, but this year point proven, a lot of people didn't apply for this unit. I applied, I got rewarded and they actually had a really good monsoon season and they got a lot of rain. So as far as antler growth and all that, that was there. They, they got all of that. Wow. And then. And then while we were there the night before I shot my bull, we got smoked with rain. It, it rained from 3 PM all the way till probably three in the morning. Wow. So, so water holes were absolutely useless. There was water everywhere. All the roads were complete mud Mm. and, 
we were complaining the whole night. Like literally we, it was kind of funny cause we were like, Oh, it's muddy in camp. We can't eat in camp. So I was like, all right, well let's grab some sandwiches and salads. Let's eat in the car. And we ended up driving up to like the nearest road so we could get some phone service. And we were like texting our wives and the whole deal. And hindsight 2020, the rain was the greatest thing in the world for us because I shot that bull at five 50 in the morning. And we, as pointed out with these broadheads, there was barely any blood. I mean, barely any blood. Yeah. And uh, I ended up finding my arrow and about like 18 to 20 inches of my arrow went through that bull. So I knew he was dying. So still and, not, a, still not a complete pastor though. So he, he broke off, he broke off just the back he, end of it. He broke off the back end of it and you could tell part of it was inside of him because I still sure. had blood on the arrow where he broke it off. And, uh, the only blood that we were seeing, I could tell it was a long shot just from like how frothy that blood was. Yeah. But at the same point, the blood that we were finding was on trees as he was running, he was kind of blowing out the okay, blood yeah. and you could, you, yep. could, you could get it on the brush at no point in time did we find blood on the ground and on top of it, the ground was, was muddy and dark. So you really couldn't even distinguish any blood if he had. Sure. Um, so, so anyways, we end up tracking this bull for 650 yards. Wow. And, and we're like, we're at like 550, 575. And, and my guy's like, I can't believe he's still running because we could tell we literally followed his tracks while he's running all in the mud. Right. Yeah. So I'm like, dude, if it didn't rain last night, we'd be screwed. I don't know that we'd find this bull right now because yeah. he ran far. We have really no, we, we really don't have a lot of blood. I mean, we have blood that we're following. Don't get me wrong, but it's not like he's just dripping blood all over the place. Right. Um, but I know for a fact, I double lunged him. Uh, at one point I found lung matter on the ground. So I knew that I double lunged him. Yeah. And I'm like, man, I wonder if that, if that broadhead went through him, you know, like even though he broke off a piece of that, 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 uh, that arrow, I, I'm pretty certain it got darn close. If not, it did. And, um, <clears throat> we had found blood on the opposite side of a bush. So I was like, well, if he's blowing on the right side and if we found blood on the left side, he's got to be, it had to have been some kind of a pass through. Yeah. So anyways, we're at like marker 600. I'm like tracking our, you know, how far we've gone at this point and right around, let's say five to 600 yards we've gone and we're looking through a couple, couple junipers and, and, and I'm looking through and I'm, I got my binos out and I go, dude, I'm like, is that the bull right there? And my guy's like, no, man, that's a boulder. And I'm like, no offense. I haven't seen a boulder that's light brown anywhere. Okay. Like, yeah. So I'm like, I'm, I'm pretty. So I look down and I could see horns. And at this point, I'm thinking the, the bull is bedded. So I don't want to like disturb him. So my guide like goes around this pine tree and he starts looking over and he looks at me and he just smiles and he's like, dude, that's your bull. He's down. <laughs> um, you know, a couple points to this, that so we end up walking up to awesome. him. It's awesome, and it was such a it was a sigh of relief, huge accomplishment. The yeah. bull is beautiful, and uh, I I can't talk enough about how much respect I have for those animals. The fact that that thing 
and and just so you know, I did blow out both of his lungs. Okay. And I didn't have a pass through, but my arrow was to the other side in his hide. So when wow. we actually when we were when we were breaking him down, I found my arrow. I have the whole arrow actually, and I'm gonna mount it on top of my Euro mount. I'm gonna put it on top of his horns. That's awesome. Um but but that thing went nearly straight through him. The amount of chaos that that arrow caused in front in, in his body, his whole left side, the opposite side that I had hit him on was just wrecked. The fact that he could run 600 yards is just mind boggling to me. Oh, um, yeah. And, and, and the other thing was, I mean, there was some trees that this guy jumped over that were darn near 10 feet tall. He cleared them like, like nothing because we had lost his footprints and we didn't know where he went. And then we would go around this tree and you could tell he clearly just jumped right over it. Cause his, his hoofs were 10 feet past the thing back into the mud again. And I, I don't know. I, I was Man. appalled at the whole thing. You know, just the fact that this, this animal could clear those trees. It ran 600 yards. I blew out both of its lungs and it ended up being found I, I, what I think, I think he tried to jump another tree and he just didn't have it. And he ended up landing backwards and he landed, landed on like a, a deadfall. Okay. And I found him in between a tree and like a, in a, in a fallen tree. And, uh, dude, I, yeah, the most rewarding experience you could ever oh, have. Yeah. I mean, that was, yeah. that was a, a hard hunt, you know, as you kind of mentioned pivots in between the whole deal. Um, and, you know, just, I mean, I, I can't speak highly enough of, of everything that happened, but yeah, emotional roller coaster to a complete high at the end. It was awesome, man. What a, <laughs> what a story. Yeah. Like you said, such a roller coaster, plenty of, plenty of, uh, really high moments, but some very, very low moments and moments that probably would have caused a lot of people to go ahead and mail it in at that point. But I'm really glad you stuck it out. I'm glad you found your arrow from that first bowl. You know, that's, that's a blessing when you can find that and have that confirmation that, yeah, wasn't, wasn't too bad of a hit. He'll be, he'll be fine. So I can, you can feel comfortable continuing to hunt and, uh, yeah, like you said, we we talk about it many times. These animals are so incredible, so awe-inspiring for him to for him to keep going like that. You know, I almost wonder though based on nothing but anecdotal evidence here, but but when you hunt from the ground, you know, you're you're at probably the most intimate part of hunting. You know what I mean? When you're there on the level with them, you know, you're, you're eye level with these, these things. And when they, when that arrow hits them and then they spot you, I almost wonder if that's what gives them that extra adrenaline, you know, push to just keep running like that instead of, oh, you know, man, something just happened. And, uh, I need to go lay down. I need to go bed down immediately. You know, whereas he, he saw you like that. He, he saw his, he saw his threat, you know, he, he felt, he felt the arrow and then saw his threat. And it's just like blind panic, you know, at that point. And you almost, you almost just wonder if that's like something, if there could be something to that. I'm sure there's data out there to some extent, or there, maybe there should be, but 
but when hunting from the ground like that, because I mean, that's what happened with that deer I shot last year. You know, I shot him from the ground. He saw me after that arrow hit him, you know, and he took off and he went hundreds of yards, you know, and it, it just makes you wonder if, uh, if, uh, there's something to that there just with that amount of <laughs> like what you're saying he was doing after the shot. That's just crazy. But so glad you found him anyways, regardless. And, uh, man, awesome awesome job by both of you because i gotta think that as a guide like we were talking about a little bit ago he doesn't know you he doesn't know you you know what i mean he doesn't he doesn't know anybody that comes in there and can you imagine how often guides hear how great of a hunter people are (laughs) you know what i mean like oh yeah man i got all the experience in the world and so they're probably almost like jaded towards okay you know I'll, i'll believe it you know, I'll believe it when I see it. And he was probably having some doubts. I would think that'd be totally natural. I know I would after that many, that many low points and misses and things like that, you know, that would just be human nature, but he, uh, honored his, his service and, uh, he kept you in the game and, uh, you know, good job to you to not let that, those Valley moments, uh, get you knocked out of it, you know? I think a lot of people probably would have, like I said a minute ago, would have just mailed it in there. But nice work, buddy. So proud of you. So happy for you. You're much deserving. And um, can't wait to see see the uh, final product. Now you're working on, you got, you got the meat packed out. Now you're working on uh, getting your delivery in from Arizona, huh? Yeah. Yeah, you know, you were funny because you were like, um I don't know if you asked me how long the pack out was or something like that. We, we got super fortunate. The bull actually ran to uh, a point where he was like 150 yards from a road. Oh man. So, so we ended up driving around, got to the road and we ended up basically being able to drive straight up to where he was at. So we didn't actually have to pack him out at all. We, we put him in game bags and, uh, that we, awesome. we had a 15 foot walk to the truck. Basically. That is awesome. <laughs> that, that is awesome because, uh, <laughs> you, you know, as you, as you, as I'm sure anybody knows that's packed out anything, uh, uh you know, that animal is probably 700 pounds, we had easily, you know, if you think about bone Dan, we probably yeah. had 270 pounds of stuff, Man. uh, maybe more, obviously including head antler and hide. I ended up, uh, I ended up, so we ended up cutting them up. We quartered them up. I'm not one to waste any meat. So I even took the rib meat Awesome. and I took every ounce of neck meat that I could. And then we had we had cut them up where basically we would, uh, we would have the hide as if we were going to do a shoulder mount. And, uh, I told my guide, I said, Hey, I, I want to sell the hide to a taxidermist because I'm assuming yeah. they're going to need it. Right. So his dad actually ends up being a taxidermist. He's like, I don't know what my dad's going to give you, but he's kind of far away. Um, but we're partnered with this other place in town. So we ended up heading into town went to this taxidermist place, dropped off the, uh, you know, the skull and the cape. And, uh, the taxidermist ended up giving me quite a bit of money from a hide. Oh, nice. Uh, They said that, uh, they had a guy that came in, he had shot a bull, but the way that he had caped him was awful. And he wanted a shoulder mount. She's, 
you know they're like basically oh no the 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 hide was half of what she she needed um so so anyways it worked out i i had the taxidermist do a euro and uh i got a pretty penny for my hide and then i needed to transport my hide which you know they use a certain transporter which is fine I dropped off the meat at a processor. The processor's like, you know, we don't really ship a ton, but if we do, we're going to ship with like UPS or FedEx, but it's going to cost you X amount, which is pretty expensive. You know, I, I kind of estimated it at around like 1500 bucks to ship my meat back. So, so kind of talking to the taxidermist, I had this idea. I was like, what if I call this guy that, that brings these, you know, whatever mounts, he's got a freight service. I'm like, what if they ship meat? So I ended up calling him and he's like, Oh yeah, we ship hundreds of thousands of pounds of meat every year. And I'm like, okay, how does it work? <laughs> and he's like, well, we got like an 18 wheeler and we have, we have sub zero coolers on these, these 18 wheelers. So we ship mounts and so on and so forth. And then we have these coolers for meat. They're, they're at negative 10 degrees when we, when we're driving. So I'm like, well, can you pick up the meat? x place and can you pick up my taxidermy at x place and then ship it all at once and he's like yeah yeah, i'll send you my pricing sheet here's kind of how it works so uh is is it is it more costly or less costly it's less costly by probably 500 bucks hey that's not bad it's something but at the same point it's nice because i get my delivery at the same time right and and it's pretty quick you know usually i'm waiting for a taxidermy mount for eight nine months you know, I'm, I'm getting everything in two to three weeks at this point. Yep. And, and that's, that's pretty cool. But, but, you know, at the end of the day, there's always logistics when you're doing an out of state kind of far out hunt like this. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, man, what a, uh, what a story one you'll hold on to for the rest of your life and you'll have that mount. And I, I have a, I, I really love European mounts. Now that's not to say that if I, you know, ever shoot like a trophy caliber animal someday that I'm not going to get a shoulder mount. But the thing I like about the thing I like about European mounts is you have the the whole skull. You know what I mean? Whereas a lot of the shoulder mounts, not to not to knock them because they look beautiful, incredibly well done, but um, you only get like a you know, don't they just use like the skull cap for those usually, and then the rest is all you know foam for the the face and and uh yeah skull part you know you got where's this you got like you got a lot of him like that that's that's his that's his head you know that's uh, for, for sure the the other positive with a euro is if you ever do want to do a shoulder mount down the road you yeah, can that's true yep, yep you know so it's kind of you kind of get best of both worlds i'm just at the point uh positive and negative i don't know where i could fit a full shoulder mounted elk in my house <laughs> at this point and my wife was like, I don't like if you want to do a Euro mount, I'm game on. I, I like it's great. We could put it in the house. I don't know where you're going to put a shoulder mount, but it's not going in our bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I just started laughing and I was like, all right, touche. You know, like I'm lucky because my wife's awesome and she she thinks that, uh, you know, taxidermy is artwork, which I totally agree. Yeah. And, and she's been fantastic with putting it up herself. She's like, Oh, I want this here. I want that there, whatever. But at the same point, I'm like, uh, I'm totally not going to burn my bridge either with, with upsetting anybody. But I kind of agree with her. I don't really know where, where I would put a, 
where I would put a shoulder mounted elk at this point. And you don't realize how big those things are until you have them in your house and you're like, (laughs) you know, just like my muskox. I mean, it's, it's above my fireplace. And when I got it, I was like, forgot how big that thing was. I mean, it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you got like a half a Buffalo off your freaking fireplace, you know? (laughs) And, and, and the kind of the same point, you know, my uncle's got a nice five by five in his living room and it's so darn big. I mean, he's got 10 foot ceilings. The thing takes up seven feet of it, you know? Yeah. yeah. So yep. anyways, you kind of point, point to that. I'll do a Euro all day down the road. If, if I have some kind of bigger space or whatever, you know, I can always do a mount, but I think Euros look cool. And, uh, I got like this old barn wood looking plaque on the back and, uh, I think it's going to look pretty sweet for the house. So no doubt, no doubt. Well, that's awesome, man. I'm so thankful that you shared the story with us and, um, you know, there'll be plenty of pictures, uh, that you can find over at East to West hunts on Instagram. Also alex.gruen on instagram as well you can find those i wouldn't be surprised if you'd even see a few show up on the old alexgruen.com website and uh, don't forget alex is one of our core people here at first gen hunter because he's such a good dude he loves hunting as much as i do he's actually got pert near a first gen hunter story of his own and um you know, so much to be learned from a guy like Alex. So we're really lucky to have him over here at First Gen Hunter. You get to hear him all, all the time on, uh, sometimes he's co-hosting, sometimes he's on uh, hunt therapy, but but really glad to have you on. And I'll say it again, not a more deserving person uh, to, to be able to enjoy the end results of that. And a story with all the drama, the heartache, the, yeah. the, uh, the total ha- over the moon happiness and uh, glad it ended the way it did and uh, transpired the way that it did. You know, it's, it's one that you'll, you'll never be able to repeat that story. So that's, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty special. So uh, thanks so much for uh, sharing it with us everyone who's tuning in we thank you for listening in uh, we know it's a little bit off schedule for our normal thing you guys know i'm still kind of in transition right now for getting adjusted to the new job new house everything else so uh, we, we appreciate your patience on uh, kind of an unusual schedule for this but sure was a lot of fun talking with alex we love bringing these to you every week as best as we can and whenever we can and uh Until next time, make sure uh, you uh, get over to firstgenhunter.com, as we said, alexgruen.com, and of course, don't forget about our buddy Brandon over at thehuntfishlife.com, and of course, we all have our social media pages that we would love for you to follow along with, and uh, until next time, people, take care, and take someone hunting. Take someone hunting.